welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by the Audiobook Reviewer. Visit audiobookreviewer.com to find hundreds of audiobook reviews, learn how to get your audiobook reviewed, and find out more about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards. There's also a link to audioafterdark.org, the website for the new podcast being created by audiobook reviewers Paul Stokes and Brian Crespin, Audiobooks After Dark. Tonight's chat is also brought to you by the Audiobookworm. Jess, the Audiobookworm, specializes in audiobook promotion, and she has a new publication out titled The Narrator Resource Guide, where she offers all kinds of helpful information about promoting your narration business and your audiobooks. Head on over to audiobookwormpromotions.com to learn more about the guide. You can find it under Services. And with promo code COCKTAILS, you can get a $10 discount. And now, come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. As I think I've mentioned here a few times, I sing in a chorus here in Tucson. A few weeks ago, my guest tonight, a clinical instructor from the University of Arizona Speech, Language, and Hearing Clinic, reached out to our chorus director about coming to speak to us about vocal health. As soon as she was done with her presentation, I knew I had to invite her into the speakeasy because I knew that everything she was telling us about vocal health for singers was also applicable for audiobook narrators, since both singing and nonstop talking are stressful on the vocal apparatus in one way or another. So I invited her to come in for a drink and a chat about vocal health, and I'm glad we were finally able to find a time that worked for both of us. Dory Scholler, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm so glad you could make it. Uh, it was a great talk to the chorus, and like I said, when uh, when I heard you talking about all the things that are important for vocal health for us singers, I thought, oh, this is so applicable to um, not just audiobooks, but uh, in, in the world of VO, especially long-form narration, uh, where a lot of us are talking for two, three, four hours a day straight. So, uh, so I'm so glad you could make it in. Thanks. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And as you mentioned, you are a vocal athlete. So whether you're singing or whether you're narrating, you're using your voice for a living and in a very high-performance way. So a lot of these things, as you, as you suggested, do really transcend those boundaries across the performing arts. Yeah, I love that term, uh, vocal athlete. Uh, I know that somebody who is a, uh, a fairly well-known voice actor and uh, voice voice acting coach uh, actually has a program that I think is called something about the voiceover athlete. I, I don't remember the specific name of his program, but uh, but I like the concept because just like anything where you're working some part of your body that much, you got to keep it in training. So uh, so so that's good. So that's great that you could come in tonight. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah. So, Dory, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I am drinking a mug of sweet and spicy herbal tea. How's that for exciting? <laughs> sweet and spicy herbal tea. Oh, no, we've had lots of herbal tea drinkers here in the speakeasy. It's a, it's a um, popular popular beverage here in the speakeasy, especially among narrators. <laughs> um, you don't want to get it too hot when you're when you're doing the narration thing, but, uh, but I know it's a, sure. it's a popular one. Sweet and spicy, who makes that? Or is it a uh, home blend? It's not a home blend. It is, let's see if I can find a tag on here, Good Earth. Oh, it even includes yeah. a quote from John Lennon. <laughs> wow. 
Um, yeah, I've, I've heard of him. Uh, the, uh, the good earth, I know that they, um, if it's the same company, they used to have some restaurants out in uh, California. I'm not sure if they're, they're still around. Oh, really? Yeah. But um, anyway, well, that's that's good. It it sounds good. I'm, I'm joining you in a drink. No tea here. I'm having a uh, rusty nail, uh, something I don't have all that often, but I do like them every once in a while. As a friend of mine say, I don't know if you're aware of this, but after our chorus rehearsals, there's a group of us that often go across the street to BJ's and uh, have drinks and talk about rehearsal and everything else. And uh, I heard somebody somebody ordering a, a rusty nail one night, and I said, Dennis, was that a rusty nail? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't hear people having that drink too often. And he's all, oh, why not? Right. Scotch and scotch. What's not to like? So <laughs> I, I have to agree with him on that one. Anyway, this is great, Dory. Thanks a lot for coming in. Cheers. Cheers indeed. All right. So, uh, so where are you from, Dory? Well, I'm from very northern Maine, a town called Presque Isle, which means almost an island in French. However, we are not really an island. So it's very inland in Maine and right near the Canadian border. And we're surrounded by the Presque Isle stream, uh, which is probably like three feet deep on a good day. (laughs) So a little bit of a misnomer, but a charming place to grow up. It's a Maine potato country. So lots of moose and potato farms. Wow, Maine to Tucson. That is one hell of a climate change. It certainly is. So when we usually you... only made the national news for really, really low temperatures, like <laughs> negative forty to negative sixty with wind chill oh and for snow accumulation. Wow. Yeah. We uh we never hit that here in Tucson. Um did you grow up in uh in northern Maine there the, the whole time you were growing up up until you went to school? For the most part. I was actually born in Southern Maine around the Freeport Yarmouth area. And we lived just outside in a town called Pownall. Um, and then we moved up north when I was in sixth grade. So I consider Prescott more my hometown. That's where my siblings grew up to. And then where did you go to school? Um, so I went to Prescott High School. And then I was debating whether to go to conservatories or to more liberal arts schools. Because I really liked everything and I loved school. Oh, so my. I was always deciding growing up, did I want to be the first female president, an astronaut ballerina, or did I want to go to medical school or be a singer? That's fantastic. We kind so of refined many, into those two choices. So many, so many varied choices. I love hearing stuff like that. Did you get a lot of support from, <laughs> support from family about, you know, you can be whatever you want to be? I really did. I feel so lucky in that regard. My parents supported my musical interests without pressure, but with lots of inspiration and cultivation. And you know, they would drive up to four hours to go to Colby College, where I ended up going for my music degree, for a liberal arts background, um, to attend all of my concerts. And my siblings came too. That's fantastic. So you got a music degree from Colby, and I know that you uh, did more after did. that. What was what was uh, life like after that? Good question. So towards my end of my trajectory at Colby, I went to Italy and I lived in Milan um, for a semester and studied over there. My minor was in Italian and French, and I had a wonderful time exploring a big industrialized city, the likes of which I'd never seen, and really <laughs> being immersed in the culture and the language and studying opera and classical singing intensely. So from there, I really had it in my mind that even though I decided to get a great foundational education in liberal arts, that I wanted to specialize in singing and performance. So I went to the Logie School of Music, which is a small um, French-style conservatory that used to be part of Harvard. 
It is still in the Harvard Square area. Oh. And went from about the 1,800 students at Colby to about 250 total for the whole school, including every orchestral instrument. Wow. Small, small population there. Indeed. And then to the U of A right afterwards for my doctorate. And and what's it's the doctorate? A different in? environment. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, my doctorate, <laughs> it's a doctor of musical arts degree. So you stayed music. Um, so, that, so that whole time you stayed music. Mm-hmm. I did indeed. I did have a secondary concentration in ethnomusicology, which is one of the really strong departments as part of the Fred Fox School of Music. So I really fell in love with uh, that component of it too. That's great. But now at this point, you're working not as a musician or a performer, but you're working in the speech language and hearing clinic. So what was what, what was the training that, that got you on that path? That's an excellent question. So while I was doing my doctorate, I experienced a vocal injury and I developed um, vocal nodules, not to the point where I required surgery, but that I needed to take a very close look at kind of the perfect storm of different influences that might have contributed to this pathology. And, you know, thinking about those building blocks for healthy voice, there's the airway and vocal fold environment, lifestyle, um, components of stress and mental health, and then exercise and technique. And for me, it was a overly ambitious performance schedule and being a very motivated, willful person, expecting my body to keep up in ways that were really unrealistic. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that that's not that's terribly uncommon. Unfortunately, it's not. And yet it's rather understandable in young singers. Oh, absolutely. Have yeah. difficulty differentiating between technical growth and some of those growing pains associated with that and what might be a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how the speaking voice is also contributing since we speak and sing with the same instrument. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. So that sort of pushed you in the direction of the uh, the speech language and hearing clinic uh, type stuff. What what additional education did you need to go into the environment that you're working in now compared to all of the music instruction that you had had up to that point? Right. Well, I spent after I well actually while I was completing my dissertation for my doctorate, I took on a full time job moving up to Durango, Colorado to serve as a visiting professor, and I taught voice and music theory and some foundational voice classes for non-majors, and this kind of reinforced that interest in finding those underlying mechanisms behind why I was injured in the first place. What can be done preventatively? Mm -hmm. How can I better try to unite the clinical world and the music world and the industry in ways that can prevent this. Because unfortunately, it was not an isolated circumstance with, you know, friends, colleagues. You hear about high-performance singers in the news. This is pretty widespread. And with the music industry not being the most robust and there being a lot of talent for the amount of job possibilities and opportunities, it becomes quite easy to kind of move on to the next person if someone happens to be experiencing a vocal injury. Yeah, sure. It's all about the bottom line as opposed to the health of whoever you're currently dealing with. Right, exactly. So I decided between a tenure-track job at Fort Lewis, which was very, very tempting as I loved my colleagues and my students, and it was an incredible environment to be in, um, but to return to school for a three-year master's program, um, the first year being kind of a post-back degree, 
getting the foundations, trying to cram a, a four-year degree into one year, Ooh. and then joining the master's degree cohort in the next two years. Sounds like a lot of work. So it was rigorous. It yeah. was a lot of work, but I have to say, maybe I'm a little bit biased in fact, I work for the same institution department that I just left, but it was an incredible, enriching experience, and I couldn't have asked for more. <laughs> well, that's great. So what, what, what is that master's degree in? Um, so that is in speech pathology. Speech pathology. Communication okay. disorders. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. And, I, I, and, I, I love the way mm-hmm. that you, um, you describe that as, you know, uniting these two things, because it sounds to me like um, what a great background to have for what you're doing now, as opposed to just somebody who's gone through medical school. Nothing wrong with going to medical school, nothing wrong with learning it that way, but what Mm -hmm. a different perspective you can bring to it, having um, not only suffered a vocal injury, but having experienced why it is that a lot of singers have those vocal injuries and and had the drive that you had to do those types of things. So it seems to me like it's a it's a um, perfect marriage of, you know, your background going into what you're doing now. Well, thank you very much. I've been very fortunate to have some fantastic mentors, both in the singing world and in the speech pathology, specifically voice world. So one of the reasons actually why I took the job at the University of Arizona is because of Dr. Robin Samlin and her research concerning kind of those exact underlying mechanisms. How does voice therapy work? What exactly are we augmenting? How can we make these outcomes better? Yeah. Well, that sounds great. very exciting. So of all the, uh, all the different things that you've studied and learned about at this point pertaining to the human voice, what do you find most interesting? So certainly as a performer... I really enjoy that kind of eureka moment um, when providing singing therapy where A, singers can take some of that onus off of themselves because, you know, our voices are integral to our conception of self. And we all have this very, very strong voice image, which may or may not kind of shift throughout our lifetime and respond to any laryngeal changes accordingly. So, Part of my favorite part of the job and my interest area is looking at, you know, the singer's experiences, relating it to a combination of factors. Since voice disorders are very multifactorial Mm -hmm. and then tailoring the technique exactly to and the therapy trajectory to what that individual needs. Not just in terms of the the physical aspect, but all the other things that you mentioned earlier as well, the stress and um, environmental factors, stuff like that. Right. So it's, it's kind of very complex problem solving that has rich rewards. Yeah, no doubt. That's kind of looking great. at all of those different factors and trying to um, address each component that may be resulting in the vocal mechanism function being a little bit out of coordination. That sounds great. I, I love the tailored approach, uh, no matter what it is, whether, no matter what aspect of health. I think that's so missing today mm-hmm. in uh, in a lot of areas of healthcare is, uh, you know, people are just numbers or bodies, I guess. And, uh, sure. well, let me fix this, this part of your system and okay, my job is mm-hmm. done and not really taking everything into account, I think is, um, well, I personally have experienced it as not all that helpful sometimes. <laughs> um, sure. so, so, so that sounds great. Um, let's get into some specifics about vocal health because, like you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to keep people out of the situation. Uh, so a lot <laughs> of it is um, preventative. 
Um, so I know that warm-ups are often recommended for narrators and uh, people who do long-form narration, whether it's e-learning or audiobooks or something like that. Um, what do you recommend in terms of warm-ups? Do you recommend warm-ups? Do you think it's important? I do. I think it's helpful. And I think it's important to have as many tools in your toolbox as necessary that you can rely on. Because certainly we cultivate and we work towards a technique that we can rely on that gets us through some of those shifts and how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. There's a, it's very true that you can kind of just not have a great voice day or sleep a little wrong and everything seems a little bit out of alignment. Mm -hmm. You know, since our instruments are part of our bodies, they're vulnerable to all of the various forces and elements. So one of the main things that I, I recommend for warm-ups and with my clients and therapy is really developing a dialogue between yourself and your body, listening to that body and what it's telling you and not pushing past that point. So I usually recommend beginning with some stretch and release exercises, trying to loosen the body, Certainly when we have a baseline of stress, any fine-tuning that we're doing on top of that be limited by just what we're walking in with. Was there a little bit of road rage and traffic in Tucson? We're <laughs> craning over the computer really intently. That makes a difference. So just some range of motion exercises with your head, um, doing a little bit of self-massage on your neck. Um, our larynx falls prey sometimes to imbalances in the sense that there might be a weakness in the system, and that causes some compensation. You're feeling a little bit hoarse or under the weather, like you have reduced power to your voice, and you sometimes recruit some of these swallowing muscles in your neck. There's a lot of shared real estate to help out and to make up the difference. So it's really nice to just kind of tilt your, your ear towards your shoulder and reach up with your opposite arms, you kind of are crossing your arm across your body mm -hmm. and you're just exploring a little bit, maybe drawing down from right behind your ear mm -hmm. all the way down, following and isolating some of these larger muscles like your sternocleidomastoid mm -hmm. or your strap muscles. And sometimes looking up a Google image of, a, of what those look like can help you do a little bit of body mapping to understand how these might be involved and ooh, that might be a tight spot I hadn't previously identified. So exploring those extra muscles right around there can help loosening your shoulders a little bit and actually wiggling your larynx around. Right. Many so, people don't really it, touch their laryngeus. Yeah. So how did, so uh, if I remember correctly, this is one of the things that we did in the chorus where you're talking about um, actually physically putting your fingers on the outside <laughs> on your neck. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, the easiest way to find your, your larynx, unless you're, um, unless you're male and you have a kind of protruding Adam's apple, which is the midline of the thyroid cartilage, basically just do a little bit of speaking or humming to find out where that vibration is and find the perimeter of your thyroid cartilage. You can do this with one hand or two hands. And what you're going to do is you're just going to gently hold and move Move your larynx back and forth. Mm -hmm. Again, let your body be your guide. Don't do anything that's uncomfortable, but you're not going to injure yourself with doing this. But it's nice to kind of just give it a little bit of a wiggle. If things feel a little poppy or crunchy underneath your fingers, that is normal. This is cartilage, and it moves in various ways, and people have different consistencies of that cartilage. 
So as long as you're not causing yourself pain, it's probably a good thing to get things moving around Absolutely. in that way. Sometimes our lar- we can take on a little bit of a higher, higher laryngeal position or our voices can just get a little stuck. So it's kind of a nice way to provide just a gentle wiggle mm-hmm. to be aware of any of those muscles that might be abnormally activating, particularly with speech. So after you do that without sound, you can add in a neutral vowel, like an ah or an ah or even a hum. Mm-hmm. And see if anything really changes. Is there more resistance to that gentle push? And then see if you can let go of that resistance a little bit. See if you can try to relax the area. Sounds great. I find it's also really great. Thank you. One of the areas that can get a little tight too, and I would think this would be particularly pertinent for um, voice actors and narrators, is in an effort to achieve really precise articulation. Sometimes the cost of that is a little bit of unnecessary or overdone articulation, which can result in a little bit of a tight tongue. I, uh, I, I can't say that I've noticed the tongue, but what I have noticed is that uh, my, my, my lips, my cheeks, sometimes if I'm, if I'm struggling a little, then I, then I do tend to work harder at articulating. And then mm-hmm. within 10 or 15 minutes, I'm like, you know, my mouth is tired now. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And everything here, of course, is very, very connected, right? Mm -hmm. You rarely have tongue tension without that jaw component. Mm -hmm. And our jaws can be a little bit tight from from working all of those chewing muscles, those muscles of articulation. So it's nice to check in with those two. I like to put my finger, my index finger right over my chin and then reach back with my thumb right beneath my chin, find that jawbone. And then find kind of the squishy part underneath, right behind that. And that's the base of your tongue. And you can just do little circular movements to try to relax that. And I find that to be very calming. You can also just stretch your tongue out really, really long over your lower lip. And just hold it until you feel that nice stretch in the back of your mouth. Mm -hmm. Hold it for about 20 to 30 seconds. And then return it to a neutral, kind of flat even seemingly weighted position within your mouth, and then go back out again. You might notice that you feel a little bit of increased space in the back of your mouth, a slightly widened pharynx. So that can feel good in trying to warm up. Sounds like a good exercise to try to do when you're alone. Uh, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although I have found ways of doing it covertly right before I go on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody might get the wrong idea. Um, (laughs) Right? Well, that sounds great. That sounds like a good way to, uh, to, I, I'm a big fan of massage in general and, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to know that there Certainly. are some massage and stretching and there are not that I stretch nearly as much as I should, but, um, it sounds like, like it is something that can be helpful for, uh, for this profession as well. Um, so I'm Certainly. just, I'm just getting over a sore throat. I, uh, I've, since the time I was, a you know, I think two week old. Um, I've gotten sore throats throughout my life. I uh, used to get them all oh, the time when okay. I was a kid. And uh, now I don't get them nearly as often, but typically when I do get them, they're pretty darn bad. And uh, I'm just getting over one now. Fortunately, this one wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so short term illnesses like that, uh, colds, flu, anything that, that ends up getting into your throat, um, 
they crop up a lot online. Somebody mentions the fact in the narrator groups that I'm in that they're uh, that they just got a cold. What should they do? Um, do you have any recommendations mm-hmm. for once you have this sort of transient kind of illness? What the best approach is? I know that for me personally, what I have found is I just have to shut up. And there are a lot of people who like that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I really have to just stop speaking, uh, vocalizing at all, especially no clearing of the throat, no whispering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really is one of the few things that actually helps my voice not go too far down the line. What are your recommendations for just sort of a regular cold flu illness kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Well, I have to tell you, Rich, you have fantastic instincts. (laughs) <laughs> and I agree with so much of what you just said. <laughs> I wish it had been an instinct a long time ago. The only reason it's instinctual now is because I have learned through trial and error that that's about the only thing that works. Sure. And that's how most of us figure it out, too. Um, so my recommendations follow yours very closely. So taking a voice nap, try to conserve whenever you can. Because certainly if you're getting feedback from your body in the form of discomfort or pain, you want to listen to that. Try not to numb the side effects. Right. Try not to numb that message from your body with mentholated cough drops or chloroceptic sprays or oh, trying to push right. your voice through. Yeah. So you want to take voice naps as much as you can. Sleep, hydrate, drink plenty of water, which is more systemic hydration. And then also use some steam inhalation. And that could be as easy as heating up a bowl of water in the microwave, putting a towel on and just inhaling. You could put in some uh, essential oils if you're feeling fancy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you mentioned that because I actually got a steam inhaler. I know that it's free if you do it it on the stovetop, but what I wanted was something that I could set Mm -hmm. on my desk when I was, you know, doing other things. Just turn it on Mm -hmm. and then start sucking in the steam. And so I have actually been using that for the past week, and it does seem like uh, in a very, very, very small way, it seems like maybe that mm-hmm. has helped a little. Certainly. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Another thing, too, is adding in very light vibration. So doing some humming or doing um, what we call semi-occluded vocal tract exercises, which is kind of a big word for describing narrowing, kind of building up pressure in the vocal tract in a way that helps the vocal folds vibrate more easily. So this can be done with a regular straw. I like big milkshake straws, which I think I also brought to you, you did. your chorus rehearsal. <laughs> that was great because <laughs> I have heard of the straw exercises and I have seen YouTube videos, but I had never actually tried mm-hmm. that. And it uh, it was quite interesting. Sure. So go ahead and d- describe that. I know that that's something that anybody listening can look up online. And I, I have heard in, very, in uh, various ways. VO circles, um, people talking about what a good idea it is to do the straw exercises. Mm -hmm. But go ahead and describe that briefly. Absolutely. So the straw is a kind of semi-occlusion, like I said, that's that narrowing. And it's in that same category as humming or doing a trill, for example, Um, whether it's a voiceless trill or a voice trill or even trilling your R's. So again, it creates kind of a ring or more resonant sound, and you get more sound or loudness for the same amount or less of collision of the vocal folds coming together to make sound. And we use it therapeutically in voice therapy. It's also a really good reset. So how that works is you kind of place that stirring or sipping or milkshake straw lightly between your lips, and you vocalize into the straw right around your speaking pitch. And that's usually kind of an ooh sound. 
Now, I like to do this in water. It gives a little bit of extra resistance, and you get that wonderful feedback of blowing bubbles. Yeah, I was going to say, plus you get bubbles. <laughs> exactly. It's so satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> so what you want is for this production to feel really easy in your throat. And my mentor, uh, Robin Samuel, often describes this as transferring the sound into the straw so that pressure isn't backing up into your throat. And you can do this with... Um, just a single pitch, and then you can try exploring your range, varying the pitch. And what you want is that with that pitch change, you're not adding any additional tension into the system. So it should feel really easy in your throat. You should get nice, robust bubbles. And you can kind of go back and forth, shaping the easiest feeling production from going from voiceless, just blowing bubbles without voice, to adding the voice in without adding any extra tension. And you can even sing through the straw. So if you are practicing a piece, if you're a musician, it's great to kind of do some woodshedding work through the straw and then transitioning back to a vowel and maybe then to the text. It also is a great reset if you are doing recordings or narration to just do a little bit of straw phonation to kind of internally calibrate your level of effort, which shouldn't be that much more or any more really then it feels effort-wise to slide into the straw. That's uh, that's great. I would love to uh, to start a, a little club of people actually providing a sample of their audiobook narration through a straw in water. I think that would be hysterical. <laughs> I think it would be too. I think the bubbles might uh, create some distortion there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Well, well, that sounds One good. I... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, one thing I did want to bring up, too, is that, you know, in consideration of these recommendations that I'm making of things to try if you are feeling sick, um, there's a couple more that I would um, encourage people to think about, and that's to be careful of medications, especially things that might dehydrate you or may numb you to the feedback of your body, mm-hmm. and then to see a doctor after approximately two weeks. So sometimes we get ill. Our symptoms, for the most part, resolve, but sometimes our voices don't bounce back. Or we go through cycles of recurring voice problems with a little bit of deterioration here. It comes back, maybe not all the way. So the best person that a specialist to see is a laryngologist, who is an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, who has had an additional fellowship on top of that, specifically in the voice and laryngology. Um, For example, I work with the wonderful Dr. Helena Yip at Banner University Medical Center in the ENT clinic, the North Campus, and we see patients together. And that's kind of what we consider to be the optimal environment to have interdisciplinary care, to make sure that the laryngologist is treating um, the pathology, the actual health of the laryngeal tissue, the mucosa, Mm -hmm. and functionally, we can also support that work get the voice back on track with voice therapy. That, that does sound like a great combination of, of both the strict physical and then uh, all of the other things that go into uh, getting things like that better. So sounds like a, sounds like a good plan. I know that uh, I, I'm not sure if he was a, an laryngologist or, or just a, an ENT, of course, ENT being a specialty uh, itself, but that was actually where mm-hmm. I learned about not speaking. I went through a, uh, a, uh, performance problem where I was in a play and I got sick uh, right after we opened, I think. And so what would happen is I would go through performances on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
And by Sunday afternoon, oh, wow. my voice was destroyed, just completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I would try to take it easy and try to feel better. And I was feeling pretty good by Thursday. And then after four more performances over the weekend, it was just destroyed again. So after that, I went oh, no. to, after that, I went to an ENT and he actually did the scope up through the nose and took a look and he said, well, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't have any nodules. It, it just looks like it's, um, really strained. And so what you need to do is not speak. And that was actually where I first learned about the fact that really just shutting up completely is the way to go. So I, I actually stayed completely silent for a week. I was, mm-hmm. I was clicking, oh, my, clicking my fingers at my dog and writing notes to my wife. And just, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's funny. You don't really realize how much you speak, even if you, even if you're single and you live alone. I mean, you're, you're constantly verbalizing sure. or vocalizing somehow. And, uh, so it was, it was a challenge, but it really made a huge difference. And so from that Mm -hmm. point on, whenever I would get a sore throat, um, I figured that was kind of the way to go. Just stop, stop using it. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's excellent. You kind of make substitutions where you can mm -hmm. also try to return as much as you can to that nice, easy vibration. Because that could be therapeutic in and of itself. That can kind of encourage that vocal fold tissue to help heal itself. So that's that's interesting. So that to kind me. of it, nice it, balance. It it kind of makes me think of when I sprained an ankle one time, and um, the doctor said, you know, that it used to be years ago that what we would say is just stay off of it. And we learned at some point that Mm. what you really want to do is as soon as possible, start putting weight on it. Not a lot, just a tiny bit, Mm -hmm. but start putting weight on it. And that will actually speed the healing process. And it sounds like you're talking about something similar for the vocal folds is that if you actually start um, doing the very, very gentle humming and vocalizing in that way, that can actually help. Absolutely. And that's such a nice comparison. And actually, there have been studies done, I'm thinking particularly of um, Kaneko and all, uh, I think it's 2017, that actually found that three days of voice stress, this is post-surgically, so after, you know, the, the wounds are still healing, mm-hmm. um, three days of complete voice rest were as good, if not better, than seven full days of voice rest. Wow. So usually what we try to do is a gradual return to vocal activity. Again, this is talking like after surgery, after there is some pathology mm-hmm. that needed to um, be removed. But the same kind of goes for if you're having laryngitis, if you're having some voice difficulties or some variations in your vocal quality. The voice nap in combination with all of those other more lifestyle factors. And then easy vibrations, keeping the vocal folds pliable, moving in what we call low amplitude vibrations so that you're getting very, very little impact. Certainly when you do cough or clear your throat, that's a much harder impact of the vocal folds beating together. Yeah. Ooh, I hate coughing. Coughing is so awful. And yet usually when I get one of these things, it turns into at least some degree of cough. I hate it. Mm-hmm. Really hard on the on Well, I the have throat. strategies for replacing cough, if that would be something you'd be interested in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For, for, uh, for doing what now? Um, so... You want to limit the cough, both in how frequently it's occurring, the severity and the duration. Just trying to limit that impact on the vocal folds Mm -hmm. because it is pretty delicate tissue and the vocal folds slam together with a lot of impact forcing you to cough. So we recommend trying to replace it versus trying to completely eliminate it, eventually working towards full substitution. And that includes things like sipping water. Mm. Or swallowing hard and slow. Sometimes that can alleviate that little tickle. That is so interesting to hear that because I've actually mm -hmm. learned that about myself is that 
what what will help me to avoid it is to do that that that's a i I haven't figured out how to describe it it's a good way to describe it swallow hard Mm -hmm. and um and then you can feel it and then i swallow again and i swallow again and a lot of times after five or ten of those my the urge to cough is much much less fantastic yes again some really really good trial and error in intuition yeah and it's kind of about finding what works for you. You can also do a little bit of humming or straw exercise. And sometimes that little bit of vibration can alleviate the sensation too. Or just doing the lightest possible cough or throat clear that you can. Mm-hmm. So versus <clears throat> doing right. more of a... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. So um, I know that that, is, um, that will definitely help me the next time this happens. And I'm hoping that won't be for another oh, five years or so. But... Um, you know how right, these things go. <laughs> um, right. So, so talking about uh, one of the things that you mentioned there was uh, lifestyle uh, choices that you can make and and various different ways to do things. So, speaking of lifestyle, and since we are talking in a speakeasy, um, what about alcohol? What's the what's the word from somebody who works constantly with people who are using their voices about alcohol use? And that's a very good question. So, and kind of a contested uh, issue. So when I look at asking people to make lifestyle changes, it's usually kind of a last resort, only if things are really, really, really out of proportion, Mm -hmm. because oftentimes those things just don't stick. So with regard to hydration, right, we're talking about that full body hydration Mm -hmm. versus the surface hydration right to the vocal fold. So it's really about balance. So it's balancing, um, you know, hydrating liquids like decaf teas or juices or waters with alcohol or with caffeine, right? Which can have a diuretic effect in certain quantities. So it's all about that balance. So you need balance. So if you're, if you're going to have some vodka, have it in a screwdriver because then you've got the juice, right? You got, you got some juice. And besides, you said you had some water right next to you, too. So that's even better. I do. <laughs> yeah. When I, so when those I'm, things that contribute. When I'm here in the booth actually narrating, it's just a glass of water. When I'm here in the booth for, the, for mm-hmm. a speakeasy chat, it's a glass of water and a glass of something else. Balance. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, so let's move on to um, breathing. I know that breathing is, breathing technique is a common topic among narrators. A lot of times it has to do with um, using technical means to remove breaths from, uh, from recordings. And for short form voiceover, that's almost always done. For long form voiceover, there's a, there's a healthy debate in the narrator community about that. But what I'm most interested in is um, for, for those of us who tend to not try to get rid of breaths in the recording, what I'm constantly doing is trying to control my breathing enough so that I don't have to worry about loud breaths nearly as often. Um, so do you deal at all with breathing techniques or do you have any, uh, any thoughts on breathing techniques for somebody who's using their voice all the time? Yes and yes. So, <laughs> I, so part of my practice, uh, both at the University of Arizona Voice Clinic and at Banner, is to deal with uh, laryngeal airway disorders, which involves people who um, have paradoxical vocal fold motion, who are having chronic cough, and some of these breathing-related disorders. 
Um, and that's a whole constellation of symptoms that sometimes interacts with voice disorders as well. So we, we do teach some breathing strategies, especially for people who might have something like a vocal fold paralysis, where they need to kind of compensate for that leak that they have within their larynx um, in complete closure of the vocal folds. So, and it's very similar actually to singing technique, kind of placing any sort of tension in at the level of the larynx and the throat with all of these muscles here, where we can pretty effectively, maybe not sustainably, kind of meter our air from there by squeezing the vocal folds together as it's right on top of your airway. Mm-hmm. Um, by deferring that contraction of that tension down into our abdomen. So that's essentially the cue, and this can get I mean, this is a pretty pretty simple way to think about it, which I think could be beneficial, as breathing is one of those things like blinking. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you know, that you can fixate on. <laughs> you're either doing it or you're dead. Pretty much. <laughs> People say, you know, I don't think I'm breathing right, or I think I'm breathing backwards. And I'm like, you're here, you're alive, you're doing great. <laughs> First step completed. Right. So I like to explore breathing, thinking of the cue of kind of pulling your belly in towards your spine. So essentially you're pulling in your abdomen, contracting it to kind of slow that leakage of air. Mm -hmm. So you're deferring that tension from above into the abdomen, kind of wringing out that last bit of breath. So pulling in, pulling in, pulling in on the exhale where you're speaking or singing, and then releasing those muscles at the bottom of the exhalation to allow for more air to come in. So that's kind of that beauty of the cycle. And practicing that can help reinforce that you have that access to the air without having to raise your shoulders or take more shallow sips in. Mm-hmm. But it will replenish itself. So you can get through um, passages that are longer, whether singing or speaking, without compromising the vocal quality. Mm-hmm. Because if we speak to the end of our breath, Right, you just keep speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking. Mm-hmm. And speaking. <laughs> There's deterioration that happens. And that oh, is yeah. not at all optimal. <laughs> yeah, no, that that certainly happens to uh, to those of us who are narrating, or at least it does to me. And and you have to listen to that and go, is that gonna? No, that's not gonna work. And then uh, you just go back and start <laughs> start the sentence again. So, um, so that's good. Sounds like you're talking about diaphragmatic breathing, which I know is a, a big thing with singers as well. Absolutely. And I, I tend to think about it. I mean, most people, that's what they're referring to when they say diaphragmatic breathing, but I usually talk about it as belly breathing, mm. <laughs> less eloquent. Sure. Yeah. Or <laughs> breathing. Much more accessible. Because Exactly. And sometimes it's, there's a little bit of a mismapping of where the actual kind of focus or intention is mm-hmm. and what the mechanism is doing. I feel like you can get a little bit off track. And maybe those subsystems of voice, respiration, phonation, and resonance might be a little bit out of balance. Mm. So I know that I have, uh, when I've looked up breathing uh, in the past, I have found a lot of information from Ann Utterbeck. Are you familiar with, with her? I'm not. Okay. But I'd love to hear more. She's uh, well. I know that I've I've looked stuff. Uh, I I have seen videos from her on YouTube, and I have read a few things, few articles that she's written. Um, I don't remember what her credentials are at the moment. I was just wondering if that was uh, a name that rang a bell. But if it's not, that's fine. Um, I I know that I have learned a few things about breathing from the things that I've seen uh, on her videos, uh, and it's much along the lines of what you just described. Fantastic. And certainly someone within, you know, a, a different but related discipline 
has their own perspectives, which are so valuable approaches from a different place. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite resources is um, it's called The Voice Book. And it was written by Kate DeVore and Star Cookman, Star Cookman being um, one of my mentors. And both she and Kate DeVore come from performance backgrounds. So Kate comes from the background of acting and does a lot of voiceover work, too. Mm. Um, so, and she's also a speech language pathologist and a theater voice speech dialect trainer. And Star is also a clinical speech pathologist specializing in voice and is a professional mezzo-soprano. So I love this resource because it's, it approaches kind of everything you need to care for and improve your voice as a voice user in an approachable way. And it has specific instructions and activities and exercises and information for people who um, do a lot of voiceover work, who do a lot of narration, kind of tackling, taking care of your voice, speech breathing, speech training, talking about articulation and linking and optimizing the voice for various activities. That sounds great. What's the name of of that again? It's called The Voice Book. By Kate DeVore, D-E-V-O-R-E, and Star Cookman, S-T-A-R-C-O-O-K-M-A-N. That's great. And uh, it includes a CD, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, a, sounds like a great resource. I think it's approachable for anyone who is a professional voice user or just looking to learn more about their voice in various capacities. Well, that's great. And I know that most narrators are always happy to learn anything they can about their voice. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like what, what you said a couple of times um, so far about the fact that uh, it can be, you know, what works for you, learning what works for you is important because what works for you might not work for somebody else. And um, you also mentioned mm-hmm. tools in the toolbox. I, I got that um, analogy at one point from an acting coach and she's she was great a uh, great coach helped a lot of different people in different ways and um at one point somebody was asking her you know am i doing this right or or how do i do this or whatever the question was and she says mm-hmm. look i can't make you a great actor what i can do is i can give you tools for your toolbox and you know what if a tool that i give you if you're having a hard time with it and it's not working throw it out, get it, get it out of your toolbox and mm-hmm. put a different tool in there instead. <laughs> so it, it sounds like, um, what you have is a lot of different tools for vocal health and, uh, what works really well for somebody might not work quite as well for somebody else, but there's a lot of good foundational stuff there that, uh, that sort of works for anybody. Exactly. Since people have such unique voices and needs that I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right. So, so what about, uh, what, what words of wisdom do you have for audiobook narrators? You've, you've already given so many, I'm not sure that it's really fair to ask this at this point, but, um, <laughs> but out of, out of all the things that we've talked about and maybe anything that we haven't touched on, what, what do you think are the most important things to keep in mind for somebody who's working at a job that's vocally demanding day after day after day? Excellent question. And first I would start that off by ending voice narrators, voice actors, voiceover artists, because, you know, there's so many different levels at which you can analyze the voice and break it apart and talk strategies, but there is so much magic that happens when you can imbue your voice with all of these variations. And that's part of why I love doing what I do mm-hmm. is yes, there are all of these components to discuss, but there's also that inexplicable magic that happens. And part of my 
mission, I think, is to really help people maintain that, to discover that, hold on to it, be able to troubleshoot so they can keep it. And a lot of that is, again, trusting yourself and trusting your body and listening to it, seeking high-quality help where you need it, looking at all of the various factors that contribute to good performance of your voice or things that may be hindering. And really approaching the speaking voice for non-professional or semi-professional use, for singing, for voice acting, for straight acting, musical theater, whatever it may be, but looking at conversation, looking at, ooh, does speaking on the phone stress me out a little bit more? Do I find myself a little bit more vocally fatigued afterwards? And then finding small modifications to try to arrive at that voice that feels authentic, comfortable and that satisfies you right we want to maintain that voice image to continue to develop it throughout our lives and to make sure that there's that agreement and if that imbalance is found seek your resources whether that's you know online youtube videos um, various professionals from different but related disciplines and get more tools find what works that sounds great to me um, I know that having, having a lot of different tools and having a lot of different resources in terms of the people that you contact, uh, is helpful. And I know that this is going to be a great resource for a lot of people who are interested in keeping their voice healthy because of the work that they're doing. So, um, so this has been great. Thank you so much for coming in, Dory. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. It's been a delight to speak with you, Rich. That's great. So, uh, so where, can people find you online if they're interested in, do, in following you? Do you do any kind of blogging or, or anything else, or is it strictly just work for the U of A? I don't. I'll have to add that to my list. So currently, I, I work at the U of A Voice Clinic. I do interdisciplinary research in the Voice Lab run by Dr. Robin Samlin and our new colleague, Natalie Monahan, who joined us from L.A., UCLA, and she has quite uh, a breadth of experience in voice acting, actually. No kidding. So we see patients at both U of A Clinic, which is a wonderful space um, with all of the benefits of the research university and fabulous equipment, and then also the Banner University Medical Center in conjunction with Dr. Yip. And then I also, I, I sing, I do a lot of concert work, and I have a church job, So I, and I teach a studio at my home in Sarita. So I try to stay involved in all of these different capacities of voice, both clinical and performance. And you have no time for social media. <laughs> <laughs> You might have discovered that earlier with a Twitter. So yeah. <laughs> I don't have a very robust online presence. Well, well, let me ask <laughs> you this. You can so, find more information. So, so you see, um, you see patients at the at the speech language and hearing clinic at U of A. Do you ever do any mm-hmm. sort of uh, remote uh, consultation with anybody in that capacity, or is it all just a matter of seeing patients locally? As a telepractice, that's a very good question. That's not something that we have extended to our voice services. We do have telepractice services um, for speech and language therapy, primarily for pediatric patients. Uh, perhaps that's, that's the direction that we will pursue. Uh, I do teach privately as far as voice lessons, which is certainly influenced by my clinical practice. And I have done Skype lessons before. 
um, which works pretty well. You got a good internet connection, can really visualize the person, and I think really good troubleshooting and teaching can happen. That's great. That's that's good to know that you do that. How can uh, people find you? Uh, would it be through and since you since you don't do too much on social media right now, would it be through email or a phone number or what would you want to put out there? Um, well, my personal email is Dory Marie Smith, my maiden name. <laughs> Didn't bother to change it on Gmail. Um, <laughs> so Dory Marie Smith at gmail.com, easy to spell it on shoulder. Um, I also am on Facebook. And as far as my profile at the University of Arizona, you can also find my um, my picture and some more information about me on our clinical faculty webpage. Okay, great. I'll definitely put all of those in the show notes. Um just so that if anybody's interested in doing any kind of a consultation with you or some some private um, coaching or instruction on what they can do with their voice. Um, so so that's great. Dory, thank you so much for coming in. I'm so glad that you came in and spoke to the chorus. I know that it was helpful in, in that uh, for me and for others in, in that respect. And I know that this will be very helpful to uh, a lot of narrators out there as well. Uh, like I said, I, I just uh, saw a post recently about somebody asking about vocal health. And of course, there are a lot of resources out there um, for like, you know, YouTube videos, et cetera, on uh, various different things. There's also a lot of uh, sketchy information out there, I think, uh, when it comes to medical sure. stuff. So uh, so I think that this has been vocal great. Lore. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, well, thank you. It's been such an great. honor to speak with you, Rich. All right. Thanks, Dory. Thank you. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Dory Scholler for stopping by. I'm so glad that she came in to speak to my chorus and that she was able to come into the speakeasy and share her insights about vocal health here as well. Audiobook narration is definitely tough on the voice. Take care of that instrument. Thanks also to the sponsors of tonight's episode, The Audiobook Reviewer and The Audiobookworm. Check out audiobookreviewer.com for audiobook reviews, how to get your audiobook reviewed, and information about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards and the Audiobooks After Dark podcast. And visit audiobookwormpromotions.com to find out more about Jess's narrator resource guide. Don't forget to use promo code COCKTAILS if you'd like to pick up a copy. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!